Thank you for coming this morning. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, choir. And uh, it is good to see you this morning at HBF. Uh, it is not Easter, but we're preaching on the resurrection today. Hallelujah. So uh, if you're a guest with us, we are glad that you are with us today. If you have a Bible, please be turning to the book of Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 5. Now, some of you may have known I was going to go to where you're thinking you're supposed to be in Exodus chapter 7. Well, we're going to start in chapter 5 this morning. And uh, I am glad that you're joining us this morning. So um, if you don't if you don't have a Bible, please grab one from the seat rack in front of you and uh, or near you. There should be one close to you. If you're a guest, there's one in that gift bag and you can turn to page uh, 82. And then a little later, we'll be in at chapter seven, which is page 92. And so uh, and I didn't get my sermon notes out uh, is with the bulletin. So if you did not get an outline and you'd like one, the ushers are coming by right now to get that out to you right now. So uh, just take one down and pass it around another outline in your lap. All right. So um, <clears throat> I'm uh, <laughs> I'm excited about what God has for us this morning in the word of God. I actually I told you the wrong page. It should be page eighty eight. And so it's been nearly a month since we've been in Exodus, and if you're just joining us uh, or you've slept since April 16th, I'm going to take a little time and refresh you on where we've been. Uh, we've been looking uh, at this uh, war for worship between, of course, uh, Pharaoh and Moses as they've been going at it, and, of course, Pharaoh's heart continues to harden. And, of course, the, the pagan deities that were worshipped during this time uh, were numerous, uh, last time we met, uh, we saw the standoff between uh, Pharaoh and Moses where Aaron's rod turned into a serpent and swallowed the rods of the Egyptian magicians right in front of Pharaoh and his servant and his courts. And so everyone saw the power of God manifest at that time. And this signified God's power over the god uh, uh, Urias, uh, the serpent cobra that's affixed on the crown of Pharaoh's um, head and of course many of you have seen those with king tut and all of that the little serpent uh the the uh, cobra that goes on the uh, headgear of the pharaoh but today we're going to pick up uh in the account of exodus chapter uh, 7 but before we do that i thought it'd be good to bounce off of exodus 5 in verses 1 and 2 because in essence uh what we have this morning is a response we're going to start the 10 plagues uh, and and we're really just seeing a response to what we see in Exodus chapter 5. And, and I know it's been a few days since we've been there, so I thought we would go back and have a look at it as we get started this morning. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Uh, as God gives Israel, or will give Israel later on, the Ten Commandments, he gives Egypt the ten plagues. And that is the difference between being a son of God and not being a son of God. Israel is considered a son of God. They get the Ten Commandments. Uh, they get promises from God. Of blessing and Pharaoh gets 10 plagues because he hardens his heart. And, and so when we go back to Exodus chapter 5 and we look at the text there, we'll see uh, that, that um, this is where Moses first confronts Pharaoh. And it says, And afterwards Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may uh, hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Boy, he said a mouthful when he said, I know not the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning for uh, this passage of scripture uh, and the passage that we'll be looking at in Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. 
And as we listen to these words of Pharaoh and his bold proclamation, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who's the Lord? I don't know him. Lord, it's possible that even in this room this morning, there are some who may not know him or the power of his resurrection. Lord, they're not conformable to his image. They've not been uh, counted as dead and buried and risen again. Lord, I pray this morning that you would would quicken our understanding. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may behold wondrous things from thy law. Lord, help us to see uh, what you would have us to see this morning in regard to the standoff as literally you smite the waters, you smite the Egyptian God. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would take note of your wisdom and your power, Lord, and your great mercy. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this passage, we we see that 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 uh, Pharaoh has certainly started with a hard heart. I made that case several weeks ago. But as we as we look at the text and we see that he says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord. He's proud of that fact because he is the one that thinks that he is God, like many today. Pharaoh could easily answer that question today. Who is the Lord? Because he's eternally. Uh, tormented in hell. He would be quick to tell us who the Lord is. He knows that it is Jesus Christ today. But at this time in his life, he wasn't willing to acknowledge the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the Hebrews that was being um, uh, confronting him and warring with him to get Israel out of Egypt. And so while Pharaoh and uh, Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt would receive the ten plagues, uh, it represents the number of the Gentiles uh, in the Bible. As you go through the Bible, there's a pattern. Ten is associated with Gentiles often. Uh, and it's also prophetic because there'll become a day where there'll be seven heads and ten horns. And there'll be a Gentile uh, judgment coming in, in, the, in a time yet future. And so there's a lot of shadows as you go through the book of Exodus and, and, and things that you can see. There'll also be witnesses. One of those witnesses, I believe, will be Moses, who will also be a part of, of a warning uh, both the world and the Antichrist of the judgment to come. So as we progress through these ten plagues, God will be targeting, you know, the pantheon of gods uh, because he's, he's going to have to show Pharaoh <clears throat> that he is the one who rules with a rod of iron. And as uh, just as a quick review, we will see in the next few weeks the following gods get destroyed by the Lord one by one as he pours out his plagues in succession and in, in uh, his increasing intensity, the plagues don't get easier. They get increasingly more severe as they go. And so the first God that, that we'll be addressing today is the God called Happy. That's how it's pronounced, Happy, H-A-P-I. And uh, this is an Egyptian God of the Nile. This God was a water bearer associated with fertility. This God was a perverse intersexual avatar, as I like to call it. I, I think I have a picture of that somewhere. Um, and this this God... Um, you can put that. Yeah, there, that's the, that's the picture. Uh, that's what it would look like. Uh, and as you look at the, on the back of your notes, I didn't put it on the front. I have a list of these things. So if you, if you're trying to figure out what I'm talking about, I just went ahead as an appendix and put that on the back in a little chart. And I'm not going to take a lot of time with this, but I just want to lay out these 10 gods. We'll progress through and we'll see the God, uh, that is associated with frogs, uh, Hecate, and this Egyptian goddess of fertility is also uh, a God that has a, has a frog-like uh, countenance and is associated with the Nile River. Uh, there's also lice that will be the third plague. And the God of Geb, the Egyptian God of the earth, 
Of course, uh, they'll have lice all over them, like the dust of the earth. They'll have the, this crazy fly god, Capri, um, and, uh, and it's the Egyptian god of renewal. We'll look at that judgment. And as they progress on down, of course, the god of uh, cattle is as Hathor, the, the god of uh, Isis is not the god of boils, but she is a, uh, a god that is, is really one of the primary female deities in the uh, pantheon. And, uh, and, and she cannot stop uh, what will come in that sixth plague that will come with the plague of boils. And then, of course, there's hail with fire and thunder that comes uh, to uh, deal with the goddess of the sky, uh, Nut. And then there's locusts, uh, and the, goddess, the god of storms and disorder cannot stop that plague. And then there's the god Ra, who many of us have heard about. And, of course, the, the, the earth will go dark. Uh, there in Egypt, and it'll be a thick darkness, uh, and it'll be it'll be for the for the religious system of Egypt that was an incredible um, victory for for Moses, and they would have seen um, interestingly enough they would have seen that as a great defeat of their primary uh, male deity, which is Ra, um, and then and that affects directly the last plague. Uh, which is dealing directly with Pharaoh, who is supposedly the offspring of Ra, the sun god. So they had all of this crazy, wicked, pagan, uh, you know, um, iron mixed with clay theology, just like is coming around today, right? It was just Marvel before Marvel was cool. And so, and they believed this stuff like it was real. So you take all of this, this uh, mythology, as we'll call it, all of this wicked paganism, and then you could show up in Egypt at this massive, one of the, the, the most impressive kingdoms on the planet, if not the most impressive kingdom on the planet, and you got a human sitting there acting like he's God. And so you get, you feel like, man, I'm, I'm within reach of a real, of a real God, because they believed he was born of Ra, the sun god. So you can just imagine the, the when Moses shows up to confront Pharaoh, man, it's on, it's on, and of course. I've titled today's message, Hitting Happy, Hitting Happy, as I will, it'll, it'll take just a, a little bit of time to look at this first plague and, and see how God has a direct hit on this God, God called Happy. The God, uh, when God speaks to Moses in Exodus 7:17, he tells Pharaoh, uh, he says, look, I'm going to smite, I'm going to smite uh, these gods with my hand. And Pharaoh is about to take a beating from God. But sadly for him, he still wouldn't learn. So if you have your Bible, look at Exodus chapter 7. This will be our text this morning. I kind of just set that up, uh, of course, with Marrow's, uh, with Marrow, with uh, Pharaoh's hard-heartedness. In Exodus chapter 14, we're going to, or Exodus chapter 7, I'm sorry, starting in verse 14, we're going to pick up where we left off from last month. Last, uh, last month, we, we ended in verse 13, a number of rebellion, and it says, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Of course, we still see that he has a hard heart, and, and God allows that heart to grow harder. Verse 14, And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuseth to let the people go. Verse 15, Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink, and against he, uh, against he come. And the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou... Uh, take in thine hand, and thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. 
Thus saith the Lord, in this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite uh, with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon the streams, upon their rivers, upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in the vessel of wood and in the vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters were in the ri- that were in the river turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. The magicians of Egypt uh, did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither did he set his heart uh, to this also. And all the Egyptians digged round about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled after the Lord had smitten the river. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to look at this passage. I pray a blessing to the reading and the hearing of your word. As we look at this passage, the first thing we're going to see is if you want to hit the gods of this world, the first thing we're going to have to do is receive instruction. The thing that Moses does is he receives instruction. God already had shown Pharaoh in his court the power of Aaron's rod and the Lord's uh, supremacy over Uraeus. But, not, but now he's about to show Pharaoh his power over happy. And it's worth repeating that it's not until the, the fourth plague that God specifically mentions the segregation of Israel from the effects of these plagues. And I do believe that's because, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago or several weeks ago, that in Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 1 through 9, that it's noted uh, later on in prophecy that Israel was still holding to the gods of Egypt. And, of course, we see them struggle with that later in the wilderness as well. And so I think God allowed them perhaps to taste some of this. I don't know how much of that. None of that's told in the Bible, so it's speculation on my part. Um, but it, it is interesting uh, because this, to me, is like a picture of the beginning of sorrows that will come upon the world in the first three and a half years of the of Daniel's 70th week, a time where uh, the whole world will taste of the wrath of God, but yet the, the big the big wrath is about to come in the last three and a half years when those vials, those seven vials, are poured out toward the end. But uh, but I want you to note for for your notes' sake, God gives Moses specific instruction in this passage on how to hit happy. And the first thing you know is that is point A. God reveals Pharaoh's heart. Now, when we look at this text, I mean, we've been talking about Pharaoh. We know about Pharaoh. We, it's like, do you really need anybody to tell you that Pharaoh has a hard heart? Yes, we do. And I'm going to tell you why. In verse 14 there, and the Lord said unto, unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Moses' instruction uh, is, is predicated on God's revelation of Pharaoh's heart. He just doesn't take that for granted. And I just mentioned that because perhaps you came to church this morning and you have a hard heart. But you know what? I believe God is gracious and merciful. If Pharaoh's heart would have been softened uh, from what had transpired with those serpents when they threw the rods down, I think God would have taken note of that. But the reality is we may not have seen it because we can't see people's hearts. Only God knows the heart. Uh, God is at times he'll be working in people's hearts 
And they seem more bitter and they seem more hateful because they're struggling and they're fighting against God. And they are, do have a hard heart and they are bitter and they are struggling. But God knows exactly where the heart's at. And he knew where Pharaoh's heart was at. And so he gives a report to Moses and he informs him that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And uh, it, it might seem obvious, of course, but, but it's important because God takes time to proclaim that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. So we can take note of the attribute of God's divine wisdom and insight into the heart of men. We should not presume we know the heart of men is really my point. Uh, I, I'm guilty of that at times. We think we do, but we really don't know the, the hearts. We, and, and we all kind of do that. We say, oh, he has a good heart, or he has, they, have a, they have a bad heart. they got a wicked black heart. Obviously, there are things that you can see, uh, evidences where you say, oh, yeah, that person doesn't have a good heart. That's obvious when people are in the flesh and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and conversely, right, uh, we know people because they love God. If any man love God, the same is known of them. There is evidence of having a good heart. But as far as really judging the hearts, that's God's business. And uh, and you'll remember back in 1 Samuel 16 when, when God was looking for a king to rule over Israel. Even the prophet Samuel was, was convinced that Eliab must be the next king. I mean, he had the right stature. He was the eldest son. I mean, he looked like a king. He probably acted like a king. He probably had a nice, deep king voice, you know. And uh, he was just, I mean, he was probably, man, he was all that in a bag of chips. And God says, hey, 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 slow down there. Slow your roll, Samuel, right? Uh, you don't see like I see. The Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. I mean, he looks good, handsome guy, chiseled, looks like Superman. And he's got the right height. But don't look at that, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So he's like, listen, Samuel, we don't need another Saul. Saul looked good too, but at the end of the day, what was in his heart was not, was not what we needed to rule a kingdom. So I'm looking for a king that has God's heart. And of course, that's also in the, conversely, when God is judging a king, What's he going to look at in a ruler? He's going to look at their heart. Rulers got to make tough decisions, right? We may not always like him. I might think a ruler has a bad heart and he could have a good heart. You don't really know, but God sits in a place of higher judgment and he is the one who can judge principalities and powers and, and spiritual wickedness in high places of which we wrestle just like Moses and Aaron. And so these are good lessons for us. Just, just take a slow roll and you look at these things. It's instructional because God can not only see the heart, he can penetrate the heart with his words. And that's, you know, that's really why we, we get to the word of God. That's why we get up in the morning. That's why I get up in the morning and read my Bible and I pray and I pray. That's why you get up and read your Bible and you pray and you come to church and you come to Bible study and you go to the discipleship and you take D2 and you go through HBI. At the end of the day, what are we really wanting? We're wanting God to penetrate our heart, right? The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick, right? It's alive. It's, it's resurrected, right? It's alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints in the marrow and the, is, a, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And not only knows what's going on and what you're thinking, God knows what your intentions are, right? Because we can say one thing and mean something else. And so the word of God penetrates all of that and cuts to the core. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. And that doesn't just appear to, that doesn't just apply, I should say, to men. 
right? That also applies to principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Because don't kid yourself, there was real power behind this pantheon of pagan gods. It was no joke. They were turning rods into serpents, right? All the contemporary scholars say, well, they had all this trickery, whatever. No, they had demonic power. This was a serious stronghold on the earth. They were worshiping pagan gods. They were worshiping fallen angels. That's what was going on. And the powers were, were, were evident and manifest. And they believed in, in, in mixing the human genome with demonic beings. I mean, that's what they were into in Egypt. And it, and it produced power. Just like in Genesis chapter 6. These guys were about power. And then this dude shows up. Says, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, what are you talking about? God's like, hey. I'm going to show him some power. I'm going to tell you to tell him something. And he's not going to want to hear it, but that word's going to penetrate his heart. God doesn't have to work from the outside in. He'll work from the inside out. All of this is going on on the outside, but really it's just a battle going in the heart of Pharaoh. And that's why Paul said, right, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, pray for king, first of all, Right? I exhort you, right? We need to pray for kings and all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We need to be praying. Uh, we're exhorted to pray because our God is a mighty God. If, and if you have further questions about Pharaoh's hard heart, by the way, you can uh, go back to some previous sermons. I've talked about that already. And if you're interested in talking, uh, learning more about how his heart got hardened and, and the, the many mentions of Pharaoh's heart, I think the last sermon I mentioned uh, when he hardened his own heart versus when God hardened his heart. So God is completely, completely blameless in the matter of Pharaoh's heartless, hardened heart, I should say. He is blameless in that matter. So point B, God also reveals his specific timing. And we'll move through this, this pretty quick, so don't freak out. Verse 15 says, Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Uh, lo, he goeth out to the water, and he, and he shall stand by the river's brink against uh, he come. And, he, and the rod which... Was turned to a serpent, shalt thou take into or in thine hand. And so, familiar, right? Got the rod, uh, take it with you, go down to the river's brink, the edge of the river. And he, and he tells him here, uh, do you need to do this in the, in the morning? First, he is believed to be, uh, the son of Ra, right? So there's, a, there's a reason for this. He, he had successfully risen from the underworld. Every morning when the sun would rise, the Egyptians believed that Ra, the sun god, the father of Pharaoh, had, had risen and conquered uh, the god, that, that serpent god that I talked about last, last time we met. Uh, his name's falling out of my head right now. But he, they believe he conquered the, the underworld uh, serpent god and has now resurrected and, and, you know, all is good for this day. And, of course, the administrator of, of the kingdom then is, is Pharaoh, right, the son of Ra. So now I don't know, but I suspect... Uh, that there might have been some ceremonial aspects to Pharaoh showing up at the river in the morning. I don't know this. I'm, this is my presumption. So I'll tell you when I know something, when I'm guessing. This I'm guessing at that. But I know that God knew that Pharaoh was going to be there. I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't there officially in the morning as the sun rose. Uh, but I'm not there. I'll know when I get to heaven how all that rolled. So... Uh, but nonetheless, as the sun rose, everybody in the kingdom would know, oh, that's... that. That is a symbol, right? The, uh, Pharaoh's daddy delivered another day to us. And so all is well, and there's no chaos in the kingdom uh, because of Ra, the sun god. 
And so we, we talked about all of those as well. If you want to go back and learn more about that, I've talked about some of that process in previous messages. But secondly, it was, it was at the river that we saw Pharaoh's daughter come to bathe with her maidens. Remember that? What did she find in the river? Well, she found, um, she found Moses who was drawn out of the water. Right? This is a place where they would come. Why? Not just because they needed a bath, though I'm sure they did. But this river represented everything about life in Egypt. I mean, they worshipped the river, right? And so fertility, uh, not, not, not just human fertility, but crops, right? All of those things were necessitated by this river. And there's other gods. They had a whole bunch of gods associated with the Nile River. And, and, so, and so they all went to the river as the sun came up. And, and of course, uh, it was time to get baptized in the water of life every morning. Not in a biblical sense either, right? They're down there worshiping at the river. The Nile itself being worshipped as a life-giving element in that nation. So God wanted Moses to be right there at right at the right time. Why? Well, He wanted to mess up their worship service. I mean, that's, that's the truth, man. He's bringing Moses there to mess up the worship. I mean, Moses was not going to be welcome at this worship service. He came to be a disruptor. He's like, hey, Moses, I need you there on time. I need you there in the morning when all this is getting ready to start off because this is, I need you to be a disruptor. Man, I tell you, Christians aren't used to that. Not today, not in this world. We're so stinking weak. We are afraid. To, now, we should, I'll get to that in a moment. Let me hold my fire. <laughs> there's a way to disrupt and there's a way not to disrupt for sure. But let's move on for time's sake. So God reveals a specific location. I'm getting ahead of myself. In Exodus 7:15, he goes on to say, "Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt now notice stand by the river's brink against he come. And the rod was uh, which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand." So God places Moses in a position of opposition. So he's very specific about this. He doesn't just say, go down to the river's brink. He, he mentions, against he come. Now, I imagine it was a, across maybe the river, Nile. It's not that huge of a river. In some places it is, but in some places it's not. I don't know. Maybe it was at a, a place, you know, in the river uh, where they, it was kind of cut out probably for, uh, you know, the, the business of Pharaoh, you see all the movies. It kind of looks like that, like they got a nice porch built up to it and all of that. But whatever the case, right? I wasn't there again. I wasn't there, but I know this based on the scripture. God wanted him not just on the edge of the river, but He wanted him to be against Pharaoh. Perhaps it was across the river, and He was talking to Pharaoh. Uh, I don't know. God knows. But you know this: that there's going to be a fight. Oh. You got to face off, man. And that's what's going on. I mean, if we're going to have a fight, Pharaoh, you want to fight? All right. I'm sending Moses down and he's going to face off with you. He's going to be at the brink. Here's the line. It's called the edge of the river. And he's going to stand there and he's going to look against against you. We're going to have a standoff, right? Like every good boxing match, you know, MMA is famous for it. Everybody's always facing down. You know, some of them are funny. Some of them are crazy. <laughs> but. <clears throat> every good match is going to have a face-off. Where did they get that? Where did, you think Don King invented that? No. They got that from the Bible, man. That's where that comes from. It was long before, long before all of that, long before the boxing and the MMA and Dana White and all that stuff, 
and all the theatrics of a face-off, you had God in the Exodus saying, hey, Moses, I need you to face off against against Pharaoh because we're going to get it on. I bet I bet Buffer was there. Let's get ready to rumble. I mean, I, I can just imagine, man, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Moses would have had had intricate knowledge of the movements, right? He would have known because he was raised in Pharaoh's house. And he knew right where they were going to go and right what they were going to do. And he knew right where he was supposed to be. When God told him to be there, he knew what time it was and he knew exactly where the place was. And, of course, he showed up. (laughs) It's this divine face-off with Pharaoh. Fighting out of the white corner is Moses hailing from the Nile River, drawn from the water by Pharaoh's daughter. Now drawn to the water by the Lord God, Jehovah. To fight against the man in the black trunks, Pharaoh, the supposed son of Ra, the worshiper of happy, who ain't going to be very happy, who lives by the slogan, who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. He's about to find out. You can imagine, man. Okay, maybe I have an active imagination. But anyway. (laughs) I don't know how things went down, but I could imagine. I could imagine, you know, if the sun is rising um, in the east, that Moses would have positioned himself, maybe with his back to the sun as, as Pharaoh was looking into the sun. I don't know. But I can imagine that sunrise enveloped Moses. You know, he becomes a shadowy figure that casts itself across the Nile. Could you imagine that? And he booms out, Pharaoh, let my people go. You know, I don't know how that went down. He might have said, Pharaoh, let my people go. I don't know. (laughs) But however it went down, man, I like the first one better. You know, Pharaoh isn't going to show, nobody at a face-off shows any fear. But you know, you know. I mean, maybe you got ice in your veins, but if you're going against anybody, and he's already seen some snakes get swallowed in his heart, he's got to be a little bit nervous. Y'all that have been in in that kind of conflict, the one-on-one fight or one-on-one sport if you're going to go wrestle somebody that's good or fight against somebody that's good you can put on you're not going to let everybody know you're you're a little bit ready to pee your pants but i mean you're going to put on a good face but inside you're going to have doubts and with each successive judgment i'm sure that pharaoh as hard as his heart was he had doubts but that pride just kept coming over him and washing over him. <laughs> so I told you about facing off with the world. You know, notice that, that God told Moses to face off with Pharaoh. That, that reminds me of the practical point that I almost got to prematurely a moment, a moment ago, that we should all apply to our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Colossians chapter 5 and verse 4 says this, To us, we are to walk in wisdom... 
toward, same word, toward them that are without. Redeeming the time, right? So we are to walk toward them, not away, not even beside, but toward. Now, I'm not saying you don't meet them where they're at. That's actually how you meet them where they're at. You walk toward them that are without. And there's a way to do it. And I wanted to be careful about that because you don't want to do it the wrong way. Right? Fred Phelps, who it doesn't really, he's dead now, but he and his followers don't preach the gospel to start with. So they're not actually included in this. But a lot of people say like, hey, well, you're like Fred Phelps. No, we're not like Fred Phelps because we have a God that has given us good news. Right? Surely there's bad news, and we're here to give you the good news. So let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Don't forsake the truth. Don't, tell, don't for, forget to tell Pharaoh that God wants his people to be let go. I mean, there's no problem with some salt mixed in. The word, the word of God has to be mixed in. That you may know how you ought to answer every man, because you can't answer all men the same. Right? We're to walk, that's why you got wisdom. Go back to the beginning. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, right? Some fools you give an answer to, some fools you don't give an answer, right? It's your discretion, it's your wisdom, it's your understanding of this verse that tells you that. But one of the things that is very clear in Colossians is that we are to walk toward them. Today, a lot of Christians, man, they want to hide from them. You know what happens when you're hiding? You're exposing your backside. You can't defend yourself from you got to if you want to have any defense, you got to face the adversary. And you got to speak what God has instructed. That's what God's doing with Moses. If he's going to defend his people, he needs somebody who will stand in the face of Pharaoh And will speak what God says and trust in God's word to penetrate the heart because the word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So it's important that we also face off with the world. The rest of that stuff was just fun. This is reality. We really do have to face off with the world. We've got to share the gospel. We've got to make disciples that can, can do that. That should be part of our discipleship process. We're to walk in wisdom toward them that are without, facing them with wisdom and grace. But in opposition to the lying philosophies and the false gods of this world, we have them today. The worship of self is at an all-time high. Christians, don't be down with that. Oh, let me worship myself. Oh, you worship yourself. I'll worship myself. We'll all just worship ourselves together. No, that's paganism. Don't worship yourself. Worship God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord Jesus Christ specifically is his name. Right? We worship him. He is above all. Today, many worship the state. Right? There's many worshiping the state. They worship power and and governments and Foolishly, I don't know how. I don't understand why. It's but like what happened? Did someone give him Kool Aid to drink? I don't know. But trusting men and human government is bad for anybody because God is in control of the affairs of men. We got to have human government. I'm not saying government is bad. I'm saying putting your trust in. That's why there was a country. There was this country one time that used to put on their money in God. We trust 
as a reminder, right, that, that really is where you've got to put your trust because human government is fragile. It's made of clay. There's, there, there, there is everything right about submitting to the powers that be for conscience sake, but we must not obey man rather than God, right? When the apostles got to that point, they said, I'm sorry, but no, thank you. We are going to worship God. We are going to preach the gospel because that is our express purpose on the planet, period. Period. And you don't have to, you can say that with a smile and with a lot of joy in your heart. And face forward and go forward regardless. Today, many, many are in a bad situation when, when the powers that be enforce wickedness that we cannot abide. Well, we have to stand in opposition to that when there's, when we, when in the face of sexual exploitation of our children, the murder of children in the womb. I mean, there's all kinds of things that just, that just, we just can't abide. The denigration of women and children in our society through the perversion of, of uh, gender and human sexuality. Man, it's wicked. Just simple perversion. Well, listen, beloved, there's a point where I'm like freaking out. I watch these videos. I'm like, are you serious? You're embracing? I mean, there's churches embracing perversion that is harmful to the people that I thought churches were supposed to help lead and protect. You know what we need? We need some pastors, some shepherds that will face forward and hang on to the words of God, the instruction manual that God has given. Man, this is getting bad out there. But you know what? There's a lot of great preachers, by the way, a lot of good pastors, because you don't see that. That's filtered out. I'd say probably the bulk, the bulk of people that, that believe the Bible, preach the Bible, uh, they are not down with all of that perversion either. You just may never hear about it. But it's getting, there's some stuff out there. It's a lot like that androgynous happy that isn't going to be so happy. So this is my point about this subject, and I'll move on. We cannot circle the wagons, is my point. We've got to take it to the streets. We've got to go forward with wisdom, with grace, with salt, with light, with love, for sure, for sure. And we don't have to be jerk faces. But we, we also cannot be, uh, we can't abide syncretism with the world. And about the time I was planting Heartland, that was the rage among church planting. It was just just make the church like the world. Now, for sure, there is a certain legalism that had crept in the church that was antithetical to the gospel and making disciples. But there's also, you can go too far with that. You can get legalistic, and then you can go to, to license. We just want to stay where there's liberty. Where there's liberty. It's not enough, however, to have the right position. You do got to have the right message, right? Having the right position is not what you really need alone, right? He was there on time. He was there in the right spot, but he really needed what God's words were to him. And then God spent some time giving him the words. In verse 16, it says, And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go that uh, they may serve me in the wilderness, and behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. So this is, if you look at verse 16, this is what God says to Moses, and uh, thou shalt say unto him. So he's going to put words in Moses' mouth. This is what you are to say, Moses. Let my people go. He's going to reiterate what we already read in Exodus 5, 1 and 2. Go back to Exodus 5, 1. That's why we started there this morning. 
and tell him, thou should let my people go. They need to hold a feast of me in the wilderness, right? That's exactly uh, what they need to do. They need to serve me in the wilderness, he says in verse 16. Moses is to uh, to talk about this part about, Behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Right? You wouldn't hear that before, Pharaoh. And that's how he, that's how he starts off with it. Remember this conversation we already had? Pharaoh, I need you to know we're having it again because you didn't hear the first time. So Pharaoh is like many heads of state today who will not hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, happy is going to get hit hard so God can make a point to all Egypt of his power. Pharaoh is in a situation like many. And we should be praying for our brothers and sisters in places like India and persecuted places. They're being persecuted mercilessly. I had a long list of persecuted places, and then I just said, you know what, I'm not going to, for time's sake, I'm not going to get into that. But, beloved, right now, the church is being persecuted, just like in Egypt, all over the, all over the world. And the same could be said of, 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 of I mean, what was said of, of the Egyptians and the bondage and the difficulties they had could be said of, or I get updates. I just got some this weekend. A brother died, got killed, second death in a certain area of India. And, and guess what? The authorities just won't do anything. Right? This happens, it's happened too often. Uh, why? Well, because there's opposition to the gospel. There is a certain reality to the gospel. It does change people's hearts and minds. It changes their lives. And there is a certain sense in which it changes culture. Especially when you insert it into a pagan culture. And things change. And, and, and pagans don't like that. Pharaoh didn't like that. Modern pagans in America, Marxist pagans don't like that. But, beloved, that's where the church needs to be. We need to stand there and say, hey, look, man, this is what Jesus says, point E. God reveals the consequences. Moses is to proclaim in verses 17 and 18. Thus saith the Lord, in this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand. Well, I thought it was in Aaron's hand. I thought it was in Moses' hand. God says, it's in my hand. I'm going to smite with the rod that's in my hand upon the waters which are in the river which we could put in parentheses, that I created, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water that's in the river. Even if Pharaoh would um, would not admit it, he will know that Jehovah is Lord. He will know this because God plans to smite, to hit with a rod the water, the source of life there in Egypt. And when he returns in Revelation 19, someday soon, well, not soon, it's at least seven plus years out and some days, he'll come to complete uh, his authority, and he's going to come with a sharp two-edged sword from his mouth. And the Bible says in Revelation 12, 5, Revelation 19, 15, that he will rule with a rod of iron. You know, he's going to rule the Gentile nations, the nations of the world, represented by the number 10. This is brought to you by the number 10. All right. <laughs> but there's a singular nature of this rod. He's not talking about Moses' rod. He's not talking about Aaron's rod. They both seem to have rods, and, and, and God seems to use Aaron's quite a bit. Sometimes he uses Moses's. But at the end of the day, he says, this is my rod, singular. 
He's he's saying, this is my authority. I am executing justice and judgment on this place. The Nile will turn to blood. The fish will die. The river's going to stink. The Egyptians are going to load to drink the water of the river. And this river of life, Pharaoh, is going to become a river of death. So how happy are you today, Pharaoh? And that's what it looks like when God smites happy. Point half, God, this isn't the same God that you think about, is it? And, oh, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my, yeah. It's the God we have, but man, you don't mess with him. He's slow rolling this. He could have just wiped them out if he wanted to. But he's trying to work on some things here. Not just Pharaoh, but the Egyptians. Not just the Egyptians, but the Israelites. And not just the Israelites, the folks at Heartland Baptist Fellowship in, in 2023. So God reveals the words of Moses that Moses is to give to Aaron in verse, in verse 19. He says, and, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, take thy rod and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon the streams, upon their rivers, upon their ponds, upon their pools of water, that they may become blood, that there may be blood throughout the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and vessels of stone. See, God's words to Aaron are more comprehensive than Pharaoh's consequences to, to, uh, as, as were spoken by Moses. He, he says, now, you tell, you tell Pharaoh this. He kind of got the Cliff Notes version. Hey, Pharaoh, this is what's up. Remember what you said? I'm going to smite this river, and there's going to be problems. That's my paraphrase, right? Then he turns to, to Aaron. He says, now, Aaron, uh, this is what you need. Moses, this is what you need to say to Aaron. And he's got a lot more information for Aaron. Uh, and he says, take the rod and stretch out thy hand over the waters of Egypt, specifically, not just the Nile River, their streams, their rivers, their ponds, their pools of water. Oh, not just that, their vessels, their vessels of wood, their vessels of stone, their drinking cups, their quick trip glasses. I mean, all of it, man, everything. He didn't mention styrofoam, so maybe they're safe there, but I don't know. And so, and so, you know what I'm saying? He's like, hey, Aaron, this is gonna, this, we're not just going after the river. We're going after the water. Man, God has something with water and blood, doesn't he? Think about John 19. The blood and the water came out. And that water and that blood covers the sin of the entire world. But it's only effective if you receive the gift of eternal life. Because it's activated by faith. Something that Pharaoh had no faith. He had no faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord Jehovah was not his God. So he wasn't having it. All the water in Egypt was instantly turned to blood. The fish died. I don't know how long they lived, but it didn't last very long. And they were stinking. You could imagine an Egyptian out working in the, in the hot sun. Man, it's hot in Egypt. They're out there working away. It's all, it may be morning, but they've already worked up a sweat. Right. They're not in Pharaoh's court. They're just doing what they do. They went to work that day. They're, they're moving bricks or whatever they're doing. And it's a, it's 1030 in the morning. It's nine in the morning, whatever. And all of a sudden they go to get a drink of water. and It turns to blood. Could you imagine that? Disgusting. Gross. Not only gross, but he's still thirsty. And there's seven days of it. You can diet. You can go without food for seven days. Water. I'm getting thirsty talking about it. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I'm glad it's not turning to blood. That'd be horrible. Then you see me vomiting 
blood everywhere. That'd be gross. That'd be even worse. Now I'm giving you horror stories, right? It's like a scary movie. And it was probably pretty nasty. Washing clothes turns into blood. Man. It would have been, you could imagine. I mean, there would have had to be PTSD lined up for, for years afterwards, after all of this. I mean, it would have been, there would have been PTSD camps going on all over Egypt. People were freaking out. <clears throat> all this resulted, though, and this is important, because of Pharaoh's hard heart. One man's hard heart affected that many people. Innocent people, relatively speaking. So, how do, hit, how do you hit gods of this world? First of all, this is the important point. You receive instruction. You're not going to have anything to offer. You can't face off with anything. You can't walk in wisdom toward them that are without if you don't have the wisdom of God's word. You've got to have the book. That's why we have discipleship here at HBF. That's why we are about training people in the word of God. If you have not taken advantage of that, you need to take advantage of our discipleship process. You need to come on Wednesday nights. Question and answer Bible study starts this week. I mean, you need to come and get in on what God is doing in his word. Number two, we need to execute obediently. This doesn't take long. Two verses. And Moses and Aaron did so. I like that. They just did it. There's a point when you got to quit talking about it and do it. Right? You just quit. You've done your plans. You heard the instructions. Now go. Just do it. And they did. And so the Lord commanded and, and lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish was in the river that died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, just like we talked about. So point A, Moses and Aaron execute God's commands publicly. This wasn't done in a closet, like Jesus' resurrection wasn't done in a closet. This was done loud and proud, right in front of everybody, in public. Moses and Aaron did what God commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. So God calls us, by the way, to preach the gospel in public. That's not popular either. Christianity is not meant to be a private message. I mean, you can use private messenger if you want. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's meant to be public. We assemble together. This is open to the public. Come on in and hear the message. We go out and take it to the streets. Why? Because this is meant to be proclaimed publicly. The gospel is light. And it's intended to shine publicly. In a, in, a, in a dark and dying and deluded world, I might add. How are people going to see the light if, the, if it's never put on display, right? You can't put it under a bushel. No, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Or are we? When Moses and Aaron did what was right, they went public with the message. When they understood the message, they went public with the message. You don't have to be saved a decade to do that. You can be saved 10 minutes and turn around and tell somebody what just happened. And go public with that message, that instruction that God has given you, you can share with others also. Point B, Moses and Aaron executed God's commands powerfully. Right? There was not just, this wasn't just some intellectual exercise. This wasn't just some political mumbo jumbo, some, uh, some power move for polit- uh, political purposes. This was the God of heaven executing some, some wrath on the people of Egypt for his purposes, for his people. We see the water instantly turn to blood. It didn't take long for the fish in the river to die. And the consequences of resisting God's word and his power begin to set in. There are many, there's many a sinner who has hardened their heart against God, who woke up in hell and realized immediately after they died 
the power of God's words. But it was too late. I'm reminded of the rich man in Lazarus. Oh, how powerless he was to even have a drop of water placed on his tongue as he suffered the torments of prison. That's just hell. That's not the lake of fire. And he's like, hey, just, just drop, a, drop a water on my tongue. He couldn't do that. But he could still speak and he could still reason. And you know what? He was more sensible in prison and in, in, in the torments of hellfire than he ever was as a rich man on this planet. He had more compassion for his family than he'd ever had as a rich man on this planet. As soon as he stepped out of this life into the next, all of a sudden, that hard-hearted rich guy who knew the law but didn't take it and receive it, all of a sudden awoke to the reality that I don't want anybody else coming to this place. Send Lazarus, send somebody. And you know what they said? Abraham said, listen, they're not going to listen if they don't receive what the Moses, what Moses and the prophets said, even if one rises from the dead. Beloved, there are people today who will not receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though it is set forth evidently that he rose from the dead. Why? Because they will not receive the letter that proclaims it. You cannot separate God from his word. You cannot say, I love Jesus and I hate his Bible. That's, that is just incongruent. It is not true. You do not love Jesus if you hate his Bible. Because he is the God of the Bible. They're inseparable. His name is the word of God. I'm reminded of the severity <coughs> of the consequences. You know why you don't walk in, in, in jerk faceness to those that are without? That's not good English, but... It, you don't just, you know, bust them in the chops because you recognize the consequences. If you really get a glimpse of hell, you don't want anybody. You don't even want your worst enemy to go there. My dad watched my grandmother suffer with cancer. And he used to always say that. I And my dad had some enemies. I don't wish cancer on my worst enemy. If we understood the suffering that takes place in hell, the suffering that is going to take place in the lake of fire, you won't be so so... You won't be so hard-faced about it. You will have compassion. You will care about souls. We will go out and we will care about the destination. We will face off, not to punch them in the face, but to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are in a new dispensation. It's the age of grace, and we're going to be full of grace because goodness of God leads people to repentance. That doesn't mean we forsake the reality of what's to come. If the message is rejected. And my last point, right? We got to receive the instructions and then we got to execute obediently. I and mean, we got to do what we're supposed to do. Don't need a lot of points on doing it. We just got to do it. But the last thing, and this is really why we walk in wisdom toward those who are without, because we watch the hard hearted reap what they sow. Man, this is hard. And we're just on plague one, it's going to go on. We see Pharaoh revolt in pride instead of contrition. All we can do sometimes is watch sinners continue in the consequence of their unbelief. Notice how Pharaoh responds. If you are a lost man or woman here today, 
or you're listening online, this is how you'll respond to the truth of God's word if you're hardening your heart. First, you're going to rest, Pharaoh rests in the lying signs and wonders. He finds some, something else to compete with the message that's been preached. It says in verse 22, and the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. It doesn't go on and on about it. It goes on to say, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. He took something else other than the truth. Beloved, there's coming a time soon when there'll be all kinds of signs and lying wonders. When the church is taken out, it's going to be on blast. And the Bible says even the very elect will be deceived, man. It's going to get so hard. It's, it's AI is just the first touch. You guys are going to, it's going to be so hard to discern reality from, from truth. Why? Because there's demonic activity about, like, let's wake up and smell the coffee. Well, who's going to have words of soberness? Who's going to have words of truth? Well, we're going to have the words of truth. And it's terrible to watch people get beguiled and deceived and miss the true gospel and spend eternity in hell. But they will do it and God will give them a lie to believe if they continue in their hard-heartedness. And there are moments in time when the truth of God's word penetrates the soul and you must respond to that else you will suffer the consequences. Pharaoh rests in lying spirits and wonders. These magicians are now playing the keep up game because they have no ability to reverse this plague, this curse that has come upon the river. (laughs) Pharaoh is content to rest in these signs and lying wonders. Because he has these who can also turn water into blood on his behalf. We see a shadow Again, what will come at the rise of the coming Antichrist? He will smite the waters of the earth. It will come wormward. A third of the, the population will die. Revelation 8:10 and through 11. I suspect the false prophet will have something to do both with that and or perhaps even the healing of waters when the star falls to the earth. But in the Great Tribulation, the Bible talks about God's judgment as the vials are poured out. Revelation 16:3 through 5. And the oceans and the rivers will both. Be turned to blood. In a time yet future. And it doesn't have a limit to a third. Beloved there's judgment even coming to this planet. As we preach the gospel of grace. That clock is ticking. Tick 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 tick. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to receive the gospel of grace. God is fulfilling his own words. Exodus 7, 3. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. God allows this because Pharaoh is going to have enough rope to hang himself. Point B. Pharaoh retreats to his place of comfort. Verse 23. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. The standoff worked. Moses stayed. Pharaoh turned. Right? The wicked flee when no man pursueth. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Neither did he set his heart to this also. Pharaoh turned to the comforts of his house and said the truth of God's word. I believe if Pharaoh would have stopped and acknowledged God is greater than happy. God would have been more than merciful to, to both Pharaoh and Moses. Nonetheless, he turned away from God's message and God's man and retreated into the confines of his opulent palace of comfort, even though he had no running water at the time. In James 4, 6, the Bible says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Man, if there wasn't someone double-minded, we'll see that as the plagues go on. It was Pharaoh. But he never landed on that place where he was willing to open up his heart to a God other than the ones that he believed. There has to be a time when you realize that Jesus Christ is God, and you receive him in his grace alone. Proverbs 28 one says, The wicked flee with no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Pharaoh retreats because he was wicked. And Moses stood because he was an ambassador for Christ. Point C, Pharaoh resists God's power to the detriment. This is probably the most sad thing, to the detriment of his people. As you conclude the text there, all the Egyptians digged round about the river of water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled after the Lord had smitten the river. And that's enough. That's a long time not to go with water. They couldn't go that long. So they... God in his mercy let him dig wells. He didn't, he didn't, he, those hand dug wells, he didn't turn to blood, obviously. They were going to have to work for their water. Where before it was plentiful, it just flowed right to them, and now I'm sure they had nice plumbing in the palace. Now, if you wanted water, you had to go dig it up down by the river with Chris Farley. I love, I love that. And so, <laughs> for seven days, his people were digging, laboring for water, while Pharaoh's heart grows hard as flint. He could have went down and said, Moses, that's enough. I proclaim that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one true God, and we will worship him above all other gods. Other pharaohs have done it. Nebuchadnezzar, after eating some grass, he did it. It's not impossible for the king, the prince, whoever's in the White House, who's ever, who, uh, whatever, Ping over there in China, uh, whatever little Korean fella, all those guys, I mean, I'm telling you, it's not impossible for God to get a hold of their hearts. But if they don't, they'll be judged. God has gotten a hold of those hearts from time to time. The heart of the king is in the Lord's hands. It's like rivers of water. He turned it whithersoever he will. He'll use Pharaoh regardless of what Pharaoh gives him. What Pharaoh's given him is a hard heart. So God just keeps using it. Seven days, he doesn't care about his people. The pride that envelops Pharaoh is a picture of the scales of pride that encompasses Satan. As he could care less about the judgment upon a third of the angels that have followed him or upon Adam's sinful race. I was about, I think I was about 17. I don't remember exactly my age. I was, Amy and I went to visit my great grandma at the nursing home. I'd never been like in a nursing home. And I walked in there. That's probably 16 or 17. She was 98 or something. Sweet lady. And I see all these people like hunched over, sitting around in wheelchairs. And I just was like, it's shocking. As it set in on me. Like this is the end of all men. And immediately God preached a sermon to me. He says, yes, this and much more is what Satan knew when he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. He does not care about the consequences of sin. As a matter of fact, he likes to see us destroyed because he wants us out of the way so he can take on the kingdom. It's all about a kingdom. Revelation chapter 20 says this. It's going to come down to the time when God takes Satan in. And uh, in Revelation chapter 20, it says, And when a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison 
and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about, that'll be us, and the beloved city. And the fire came down, there's no long battle, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. He's done playing. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. You know, after 2,000 years of going to his own place shortly, and a Christ will emerge, and then eventually midpoint of the tribulation, Satan will indwell him, and it'll be on like Donkey Kong. Earth becomes planet, becomes ground zero, I should say, for this great conflict. We know Revelation 19, Jesus returns, he wins, we come with him, we win, yay. A thousand year reign on this earth. And at the end of that, Satan is loosed and he's just like Pharaoh. Even after being defeated, he's never going to learn his lesson. He hates humanity. He hates us. Job 41.15 says, his scales are his pride Shut up together as with a close seal. I mean, he is like, have you ever seen a serpent, right? You know, their skin, it's just, it's like, how does that work? I mean, it's just shut up together. The scales are his pride. He is so full of pride. But beloved, I don't expect Satan to change. I'm not actually preaching this message for him. I'm preaching the message for those people that have been following him. Because there's some of you that have been following Satan. And you got the same problem Pharaoh had. You look just like him. Full of pride. Shut up with scales of pride. Not going to let anybody in. Nothing's going to penetrate my heart. And you know if you're watching online or maybe you're in this room. That at the end of the day. Whether you like it or not. There is something that penetrates those scales of pride. And it is the words of God. And it cuts, and it's quick, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And man, I tell you, you don't have to join Satan in the lake of fire. Satan has a grip on this world. He doesn't have to have dominion on your soul. You don't have to stand with the phrase, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? That doesn't have to be your song. You can change your song. And you can say, the Lord is Jesus Christ, and I receive him as my Savior, and he will set your soul free. He will deliver you from pride, and he will give you eternal life. You can be free from the bands of the hard and calloused heart if you receive him today. I'm done, but I want to just just quickly let you guys know with my whole heart, If you're here today, man, you need to receive the gospel. I can remember first time I was convicted about the gospel. I was like five years old. Susquehanna Baptist Church. Some kid preacher. Little suit preaching. I went home, man, I was crying out to God. I didn't know why I was crying, but it convicted me. In my soul. I can remember... Christian Sibley Church memorizing John 3.16. I can remember sitting at little Bible studies at your house. Your mom talking the gospel. I didn't, it all didn't sink in, but 
going over my head, convicted about the gospel. But I can also remember picking up a witchcraft book and doing spells and being troubled in my spirit in a real way and my heart growing harder. I can remember when Alex Jamie's witnessed to me on the bus and I was like Satan incarnate belittling him for sharing a trick, a chick track with me. I remember getting off the bus, even going, surprising myself, going, where did that come from? Why am I so hateful? Well, you know where I, why I was so hateful. My heart was hardening. I can remember when I was like a freshman, my buddy Roger Bunny gets saved. And man, I'm sitting in the, sitting in my, I remember like yesterday, I'm sitting in the dining room on the phone. Back in the old days, we didn't have cell phones, so you had to dominate the house phone, right? So we're on the house phone. I'm talking to Roger. He's telling me about it, man. He's telling me how he got saved, how he heard the gospel, how he received the gospel. So clear, just a baby Christian. Hadn't even been to church. Just a baby Christian. Laying the gospel out so clear, I couldn't miss it. So what did I do? I lied through my teeth. He asked me point blank. You got, I didn't know you just as, he shouldn't believe all things, right? And so, I didn't know you were a Christian. Oh, yeah, I got saved, blah, blah, I made up some story. Liar. That heart just gets harder. Now you're full of pride. Full of pride. Scales of pride. Remember coming out of the Van Halen concert, not too long after that. Got the cool Van Halen track, man. I'm sitting in the back of this dude's car, and I'm like, that's a cool piece of literature. Read that thing, man, and that same hatred I had when I was 10 years old wells up. I'm like, oh, I can't believe they got me with this thing. I hate these idiots. I mean, maybe you guys weren't like that. That's how I was. Because the heart is getting harder and harder and harder. Maybe someone drug you to church or for some reason you're watching this message and you're like, man, Brian, I, I get it. I just want to encourage you, man. It's not too late. Amen. It's not too late. But you've got to take heed to the message. I won't get into all the reasons and whys, but, but God will do things. He will allow plagues to come into your life. He will allow difficulties to come into your life. And you will start to realize that you are not God. And it will be about that time that God will send somebody with the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ truly is God. He died on the cross for your sins and he rose again the third day according to the scripture and that he is calling you to salvation. And beloved, if you're here today, man or woman, if you're here today and your heart has been full of scales, the scales need to come off and you need to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. And there is no other time to do it. You've got to do it now. Because you will be like I was when I got saved March 25th, 1987. Yeah, maybe God would have given me more chances. But I knew in the moment, I knew in that moment that if I rejected God's gospel one more time, I was going to spend eternity separated from him. And now was the time to get saved. I beg of you, if you're not saved today, I beg of you, receive the goodness of God. Receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this morning, I pray that there's a soul under the sound of my voice that is not saved, that today would be the day of salvation.
Oh, Heavenly Father, your word is true and it does penetrate. It's quick and it's powerful. And Lord, I pray, God, there's a soul under the sound of my voice. I have nobody in mind, but if there's someone here that isn't saved, I pray today they would get saved. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're, the, if you're here this morning and, and you just know, that, like you know, I'm talking to you. God wants you to be born again. Could you just raise your hand right where you are? I'm not going to try to embarrass you or anything. I just really need to know who you are. You need to know who you are. Anyone at all. I don't care if you're a member of this church. I don't care if you've been to church your whole life. If God is convicting you over sin and, and you know that you're lost, don't worry about pride, man. Set it aside and receive the word of God today. Anyone at all.